Good morning, Redemption Church. My name is Stephanie, and I'm a member here, and I'll be reading the Lord's Word to you this morning. It'll be coming from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 53. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is God's word for us today. Well, good morning. My name is Dave. For those of you that don't know me, I'm originally from New Jersey. Uh, that's why I have such a charming disposition. <laughs> I've been in Milwaukee for almost six years, except for one year I was exiled and had to live in Chicago, uh, where I was doing a, a residency. Yeah, woo, Chicago. Uh, I was doing a residency with an organization called the Charles Simeon Trust. Despite its name, it is not a financial institution. It is a Christian nonprofit that helps train uh, pastors and Bible teachers uh, in preaching God's word. I now work for them as the online director um, and just oversee all of the training that we get to do via our online courses. I've been at Redemption for a little over a year now. So if you uh, remember, about this time last year, we were celebrating getting this building. And it was this great moment in our church's life where everybody was just like, we did it. We, we survived the church plant. We made it through the pandemic. We had to tear down and set up every single week in that old rental building, but we did it. We're here. And I had just gotten here and I was like, yeah, we did it. Like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> but sincerely, to all of you who have come before us for your faithful work and labor, Look at where we are. So many of us have been blessed by this community because of those years that you put in. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. 
Let me pray, and then we will jump into our text this morning. Father, we come to your word all in different places. Our weeks, our minds, our hearts are all over the place. And Lord, we come to your word this morning expecting to hear from you. We need to hear from you. So Lord, we pray that you do as you have promised and through your spirit and your word, you move in us and shape our hearts more into the image of your son. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. I wish I was a little bit more certain of it. I'm sure you have said that, thought that, felt that, that you just had a little bit more certainty. It could be as you're making a decision and you wish you just had a little bit more information so that you were a little bit more clear on which option you should choose. I mean, it certainly would be great if we had certainty of how everything was going to turn out before we even walked into the unknown. Wouldn't it be nice to have certainty that all the things we fear and are anxious about that keep us up at night, wouldn't it be great if we had certainty that those things are not going to do us any harm? And how nice would it be to be certain that everything in our life that does bring us happiness and joy and fulfillment would be cemented and always be there? We all desire certainty. And here's the principle. We desire certainty because in it we find security. The title of my sermon this morning, It's a Sure Thing, because that's what we're all after, right? We all want a sure thing. The problem is, life doesn't work that way, does it? There are few, if any, sure things in this world. As I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate Ben Franklin's quote more and more. The only thing that you can be certain about in this life is death and taxes. My friend from Chicago taxes all the more so. <laughs> and we all know this is true. We all know the uncertainty of life. And yet we all still crave and seek certainty, despite it not really being available to us. I think this is even more true when it comes to trying to follow Jesus. I don't think I have to convince any of you in here that following Jesus is not an easy road. And wouldn't life and faith be a little bit easier if we had just a little bit more certainty. Undoubtedly, in our faith journey, doubts are going to arise. Some of you are in here this morning, and your faith has been shaken. And you're not even sure what it would look like or what it would take to find yourself back on solid ground. Perhaps this morning, for you, you actually feel like you're wandering in a desert. You're not really sure which direction to go in life. And the thing you desire most of all is for God to make it crystal clear of where you are to go. 
Some of us actually do have a clear sense of where God is calling us, where he is leading us. But we're unsure about what taking that step would look like. And we're not sure what it would cost, what the outcome would be. So we are just going to wait, maybe let somebody else go first, see how it works out for them before we actually follow where God is calling. Perhaps you're here this morning and sin has run amok in your life and it has just created havoc and brokenness. And you find yourself unsure how God actually feels about you. If you're here this morning and you don't even consider yourself a Christian, wouldn't you like to be certain of who Jesus is? It's completely understandable that you would want certainty of who Jesus is before you decide to put your faith in him and follow him. Regardless of where you find yourself this morning, deep down, don't you wish you just had a little bit more certainty when it comes to following Jesus? As we look at this final passage in Luke's gospel this morning, what I would boil it down to is simply this. To live faithfully, we need certainty. This is what Luke wants us to get from his last words to us in his gospel. To live faithfully, we need certainty. To have a faith that is rich and vibrant, that produces joy and security, and that guides how we live our lives, it's got to be a faith that is certain. And let me say what I mean when I talk about certainty. It's this deep conviction and this full confidence that God is indeed who he says he is, has done and will do what he says he will. One of the things that I've really come to appreciate about Luke's gospel is Luke seems to be one of the few people who doesn't think having such certainty in this life is an absolute absurdity. In fact, let's look quickly at the beginning of Luke's gospel, the first four verses so you can see this for yourself. This is chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Listen to this, verse 4. That you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. In essence, Luke's entire gospel is so that we might have certainty of Jesus and what God accomplished through him. Luke's desire is to bolster our faith, that we might have full conviction, and full confidence. So the question then is, what specifically does Luke want us to be convinced of? In our passage, we're going to see three little scenes, and these three little scenes are going to show us these three pillars that we are to be certain of 
as we live this life of faith. I'll give them to you up front, and then we'll look at them each individually. The three pillars are this, the resurrection, redemption, and his reign. Look again at verse 36 through 43 with me, the resurrection. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Now, we're kind of jumping in the middle of a, a story, an ongoing story here. That's just the way Luke has set up this passage. It, it, it starts with him saying, as they were talking about these things. So real quick, let me catch us up to what these things are. Earlier in chapter 24, it's Easter Sunday, two disciples are on the road to a town called Emmaus. Now, they run into this man that they don't know is actually Jesus, and they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. <laughs> they get high marks for being bold and telling people about Jesus, low marks for not recognizing him. <laughs> and they begin to tell about this Jesus who they hoped would be the Redeemer, who they hoped was indeed the Messiah, but two days earlier had been crucified. And with his death, any hope they had of his redemption died with it. But then they start to tell him, strangely, some of the, the women in our discipleship group, they, they went to the tomb early this morning, and it was opened and the body wasn't there. Now, they don't know what to make of any of this. They're unsure what to do with this person that they thought was going to be the Messiah who died, and now his body isn't there. And just like that, Jesus opens their eyes. He starts to walk them through the Old Testament and how it was necessary for the Messiah to die and rise again. And they recognize Jesus for who he was, and they immediately run back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples. They're in this room with all the other disciples, and they're telling them about what they experienced on this road and that's where our story picks up. Jesus just pops in the middle of this scene. And the disciples are startled. And Jesus says to them in verse 38, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? To be clear, the disciples are not denying the resurrection here. They aren't dismissing it. They aren't totally disbelieving it. But their minds and their hearts are not settled on it. There's this inter internal dialogue that they're having and trying to make sense of everything. Can this actually be true? Can this person standing in front of us actually be the man that we saw crucified a few days earlier? To put it simply, the disciples are unsure. I wonder if you have ever been in a place, or are in a place, in which you are unsure concerning Jesus. 
Some believe, but not entirely sure of what to make of this whole thing. Some believe, but is Jesus really all that scripture says he is? Perhaps like the disciples, you believe in the resurrection, but somewhere in the back of your head is the, yeah, but is it, is it a real physical resurrection? Like just metaphorical? There are certainly times that we do lack certainty, that we lack conviction, that we lack confidence. And let me be clear, the resurrection is a bold claim. To be quite honest with you, it is an absolutely crazy claim, if it wasn't true. Uh, one of the personal favorite reasons I have for belief in the resurrection is the idea that nobody, nobody would try and start a movement or a religion based on this claim. You'd be an idiot to do so. And nonetheless, your faith and my faith rests on this claim, that someone died and rose again. Make no mistake about it, it's not metaphorical, it's not hypothetical, it is a claim of a historical resurrection, that God intervened in human history, and just as we can be sure of George Washington's existence, we can be as sure as the resurrection of Jesus in history. That is the claim of the Christian faith. And Luke thinks it is so vital that in his final words, it is one of the one of three things he wants you and I to be certain of. He wants us to be as confident in the reality of the resurrection. He wants us to be as clear and convicted about the reality of the moment in that room on that first Easter Sunday as you are sure about the reality right now in this room. That's the level of confidence. That's the level of certainty Luke wants us to have. And let me be clear, if the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, Jesus is not who the church says he is. Jesus is not who the Bible says he is. He most certainly is not God. He is most certainly not anyone's savior. And don't take my word for it. This is what Paul actually argues in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is as blunt as only Paul can be. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, there is no resurrection, no eternal life to come. Think of it this way. The resurrection is the vindication of who Jesus is. It is proving his identity as the Messiah, as God incarnate, as Lord and Savior. And therefore, if it didn't happen, Paul makes it clear our faith is useless. It's utter nonsense. And we're all wasting our Sunday mornings being here. If this is the level of importance of the resurrection, you and I need to make sure that that pillar in our lives and our faith 
is secure. So then the question becomes, well, okay, where do we get such certainty? I think too often in the church, here's what we do when we have doubts. We brush them off. We certainly don't speak about them, and we pretend they're not there. We cross our fingers and hope one day we'll magically wake up, and our faith will just be like this vibrant, confident thing, that those doubts will somehow just have magically disappeared. We all have tried it, and we all know it doesn't work. Notice Jesus' response to them and their doubt. He, he doesn't brush them off. Instead, he actually invites them closer. Look again. Verse 39. See my hands, my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see. The disciples, in their doubt, Jesus' response is come closer. They're so astonished by what they're seeing, Luke says they're in disbelief for joy and marvel. They're coming to this place of believing in the resurrection, and it's too good to be true. And as they're moving along in their certainty of this reality, Jesus asks for something to eat. It is most certainly an odd request. It seems like Jesus is not reading the room. These guys are trying to figure everything out, and he's just like, I'm hungry. What he's doing is he's giving them even more evidence. He's giving them even more reasons to believe. Look, I am physically eating something. This is not just a vision. He wants them, and he wants you, to be certain of his resurrection. The remedy for uncertainty is get closer. Certainty will never come from a distance. It will never come from ignoring our doubts. My encouragement to you this morning, wherever you are, believer, non-believer, get closer. Get closer. Accept Jesus' invitation to lean in and see him. Read the Gospels. Examine the evidence. Reach out to Danny, one of the other elders, your small group leader, a close and trusted friend, and begin a conversation. Because if we want to live faithfully, if we want to make it in this journey, we need certainty of the resurrection. The resurrection is the vindication of who Jesus is, and it is the first pillar that Luke wants us to be sure of. But Jesus just doesn't stop with showing them his body, does he? It's not that Luke just wants us to be sure of Jesus' resurrection and his identity, what we see in the, the next scene is he also wants us to be sure of the results of his death and resurrection. I mean, his results can be simply put as this, redemption. Look again at verses 44 through 47 with me. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus is standing in front of them, and now that he's given them 
certainty about his physical resurrection and his body, he is drawing their attention to the scriptures. He wants them to be certain of what his death and resurrection accomplished. The plan that God always had and that he promised in the scriptures. He wants to remove any confusion, any doubt about what his death means for you and for me. The meaning is stated plainly in verse 47. The forgiveness of sins. The redemption that prior to Jesus' coming, the people of God were waiting for is finally here. The redemption that those two men on that road were hoping this Messiah would bring is finally come. The redemption that you and I desire and yearn for of a right relationship with God, of a clear conscience, of being restored in relationship to him. It's a sure thing. Jesus has accomplished it in his death. There's to be no doubt about what we are to see when we look at the cross. It is God's love for you as he sent his son to give himself up for you so that God might be with you and that you might be with him. This is one of the firm pillars of our faith that we must be certain of. For many of us, we've grown up in the church, we kind of know this, right? Like if, if on the bulletin there was a question of like, what does Jesus' death mean? Like you would have filled out like forgiveness of sins. It's not necessarily something intellectually new. I imagine for many of us, most of us. The same time, can be hard to believe it deep in our souls at times, can it? We often talk about the corrosive and destructive nature of sin. Here's one of the ways that sin erodes this pillar in our hearts, and in our minds. The Hebrew word for Satan literally means accuser. What Satan will do is he will take your sin, past or present, and he will throw it in your face. He will try to erase this pillar that you stop believing that Christ's mission of redeeming sinners actually applies to you at what point it becomes the enemy, and at what point it's just us in our own minds saying this to ourselves, who knows, doesn't really matter, it's the same effect. Sin is corrosive, it causes us to doubt the goodness of God, his forgiveness, and his love for us. I'm sure some of you find yourself in this place this morning. where sin in your life, past or present, has started chipping away at this pillar. Started chipping away at your assurance of salvation by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Hear this. That is not how God desires you to live your life in this faith journey. 
He has no intention of you walking through this journey unsure of his love and pardon for you. He wants you to be certain that when you look at Jesus, you know your forgiveness. Because Jesus set out to redeem sinners like you and me. And he accomplished his mission. Next thing we see here, though, is when that understanding of Jesus' accomplished mission is rooted in our souls. It leads to this ongoing commission for us. Put your eyes back on 47 and 49. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. As the truth of our redemption sinks deeper into our souls, as that pillar is built and solidified, the response is proclamation. This is for us as individuals. This is for us as a church. And we don't do it so that Redemption Church can grow. We don't do it so we can achieve whatever five-year plan we have. But we do it so that individuals, real people, with real problems, can come to know Jesus in a way that their sins are forgiven, that they get to experience rich relationship and redemption in him. This commission of proclamation is to shape and direct our lives, individually and collectively. When we're certain of redemption and this commission, in some ways it will very much simplify your life. I'm not sure what decision you have in front of you this morning, and you're trying to choose, should I do A or should I do B? Should I go down this path or should I go down this path? Take comfort, and regardless of which path you decide to go down, ultimately, your purpose there is going to be the same. Ultimately, regardless of where God puts you, he wants you there so that you can proclaim his name. We're never going to know what tomorrow brings. We'll never have certainty about the future. But whatever path you choose or is chosen for you, wherever God has you, know that his intention is to use you. This is what it looks like when we have certainty about his redemption. This is what it looks like to live faithfully in his redemption. To live a, a faith that is full and secure, vibrant and confident. We're to have certainty of his resurrection. We're to have certainty of this redemption. And the last thing that Luke wants us to solidify in our souls is to be sure of his reign. Verse 50 through 53. When he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them 
and he was carried into heaven, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. Now, Luke actually skips a few days and weeks here to the part where Jesus is ascending into heaven. Now, the ascension is simply Jesus going to his throne. The ascension, think about it, is, is like this, this coronation. The king is finally in his place on his throne. And on his way to his throne, did you know what Jesus did? He blesses those that are with him. He, he blesses the community, the people of God. Jesus' active, present, and eternal reign is a blessing to those of us who choose to live under it. God's loving rule is always a blessing in Scripture for those who get to live under it. We get to experience his goodness and the security that comes with him being on his throne. We get to experience the forgiveness and the peace that his rule brings. And we get to experience the richness of relationships that we have with our fellow citizens in that kingdom. God's rule is always a blessing. Sometimes I know you, like I, can look at God's rule as being oppressive, being a shackle. When we feel that way, when we think that, here's a hint, the problem is not with God's rule. It's with us. God's rule in Scripture, from the garden to revelation, is always a blessing to his people. So why is it that Luke wants us to be certain of this? I mean, of all the things that, that he could pen in his final four verses here, why does Luke choose Jesus' rule to be the thing he wants us to be certain of? Perhaps it's just the, the jersey in me. Uh, I can tend to be a little pessimistic. It's much easier to look at what's wrong in the world and in our lives, is it not? We can lose sight of Jesus' reign and his goodness, and we can just become very cynical. We lose sight of Jesus' reign, and to a degree, that's understandable. Because this world is fraught with brokenness, with pain, with sin, John prayed about it this morning. Turn on the news and look at all the wars that are going on around our world. All the devastation. All the loss of innocent life. Heck, but we don't have to turn on the news either. We can just look at ourselves. We can look at the church and the sin that is way too often plaguing it. And we can grow pretty cynical. We can become demoralized, and let's be honest, quite miserable people to be around. No wonder that sometimes people are like, yeah, Christians are not like my favorite people to be around because they're just always so down and negative. I think this is one of the beauties of community. One of the things that you and I are to do for one another is when our brothers and sisters lose sight of who is actually sitting on the throne, we redirect their sight. 
we remind each other that Jesus actually has already won. Life might be hard, but do not live it without hope. The king is right where he needs to be, and he sees everything that he needs to see. The certainty of his reign will sustain you and I in the midst of all the unknown. It is to be an anchor in the fierce winds of this world. And as it sustains us, did you catch the disciples' response? Verse 52, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Living with certainty of Jesus' present act of an eternal reign always produces two things, true worship and immense joy. Those who have been blessed, bless the king right back. Those who have received the good news are filled with great joy. We can be confident in Christ, and when we're confident in his reign, our lives should be marked by joy and worship. Joy is to be a characteristic of you and I and of this church. Joy is to be a characteristic of the future church plant. As we go about this commission that God has given us to proclaim redemption in his son, we are not to do it as those beaten down, just hanging on, and nor are we to do it with such bravado that we're just so convinced of our own self-importance and that we just have to win at everything. We're to do it with great joy because we're certain who reigns. These are the pillars that you and I are to rest on as we continue to walk faithfully following Jesus. So how are the pillars of your faith? The resurrection, redemption, his reign. What's sturdy? What needs to be replastered? Be certain of these things. Lean in to be certain of the resurrection. Lean in, be certain of God's redemption and commission. Lean in and be certain of his reign. And let that produce a heart of praise and of great joy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who lived during World War II. As Hitler and the Nazis uh, began to rise to power, Bonhoeffer and other German believers in his community had a decision to make. They had to decide how they were going to proceed as the Nazi regime was clamping down on religious activities. They could try and play along to get along, compromise a little, or they could just remain faithful, unwaver, unwavering and suffering whatever consequences might come. Now, I am very thankful, as I, sh I, I assume that you are, that you are not faced with such a decision. As it turns out, though, for Bonhoeffer and this group of German believers, it wasn't really a decision at all. There was no wondering of what they were going to do. 
Because for them, they were certain of who Jesus was and what he had called them to. Sure, you can threaten us with death, but we're certain of a resurrection that awaits. And, and sure, you can throw us in prison, but we have this full conviction of our redemption. Sure, with your authority, you can execute us, but we're confident of our king and his kingdom. They were able to live faithfully because of their certainty. Of course, Bonhoeffer and many of these other German believers did indeed die at the hands of the Nazis. And while they are to be admired as examples of the faith, what they did was not supernatural. That certainty that propelled them and sustained them is available to you and to me today. In a world of uncertainty, do not settle for a faith that is uncertain. Regardless of everything else in life, have great confidence and a deep security when it comes to these pillars of the resurrection, redemption, and his reign. Sleep well at night knowing that the gospel is a sure thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how you use it to bolster our faith. We thank you for the words of Luke as he points to the resurrection, this beautiful redemption of the forgiveness of sins in your reign. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room that are uncertain, uncertain about you, your love for us, the redemption you have provided, if you are who you say you are, Lord, I pray that you use that stirring in our hearts to draw us closer to you. Lord, we pray for courage to bring to light and have the conversations that we need to have. And Lord, we pray that as we continue to build and secure these pillars, you will give us lips and hearts of praise that are filled with great joy. Amen.